so glad to be serving a God like that. And even when you don't see him, he's working. Even when you don't feel him, he's working. It's not dependent on our emotion. It's dependent on his word and his promise that I'll never leave you or forsake you. What a mighty God that he is. Amen. I'm so glad we serve one like that. Let's talk to him just a moment right now. So we go to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you would just like to be remembered today as we pray. Man, there are those needs that comes in. Sometimes we have those come in from on the request from over the internet. A little sister from Indiana sent in a request, needs a, has a need. The Lord Jesus knows every situation. Dear Jesus, as we bow before your throne of grace, we're so thankful to know that you're working, that you have not given up on your people, and that you have never failed to keep a promise. We want to thank you that you're here and that you're present. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever, to live in your people, to manifest your glory. Lord, you've seen the needs of your people that reached out to you today. You know their hearts cry as they've come in, Lord, from different places, hearing from different ones around the world and throughout the U.S., and Canada. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. May they today know you as deliverer, as Savior, as Redeemer, as Lord. I pray, dear God, that you'll bless your people who has assembled with us today. And those, Lord, that are assembled with us from all over the world, different places, they've already had their services, Lord, been to church. But now, here in the evening time, as the hours are different, they're sitting there in their homes, perhaps, and they're just wanting to hear from you again, Lord. There's something about it, Lord, that we get a little touch from you. We just can't get enough of you. We want more of you. And so, Lord, our hearts long for you, for a living God. And we believe that that's the way that you are. You're a God that longed for fellowship, that you wanted our fellowship. And so, therefore, you made a man in your image, somebody that you could fellowship with. And then we think of Jesus when he was here, the, what he, the only thing he asked the Father for was for our fellowship. And oh God, we're here today to give back that worship and fellowship back to you and to tell you that we love you, Lord, and that we're glad to be your children. And I know that makes your heart glad, for you would look over the children of Israel and say, it's not laws and commandments and the animal sacrifices and endless bloodshed that I desire, but I just want this. 
that if you would just love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. May it be today, Lord, that we love you with all that is within us as we surrender our lives to you. Lord, I surrender my life to you to minister today, to minister life to the hearer. I pray, Lord, that you will just, uh, just so ride on the words that I speak, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that will go forth, directing every word to its mark, speaking to every life, changing us in your presence so we can be like the song says, that old man is dead and I'm a new man in Christ. Lord, I pray you'll bless your people. May the anointing be poured out today upon your people as we look to you now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 23, we'll begin looking at verse 20. So good to see each one that is here. I want to welcome, especially a warm welcome to my brother Dan Pruitt, who is with us this morning. God bless you, brother Dan. Makes my heart glad to see you here. And all of you that is assembled with us, brother Nathan, nice to have you and your little wife with us today and your children. God bless you. Nice to, that. I'm glad we could be a vacation spot. Amen. Most people don't think about going to Louisiana for vacation, but hey, we, we can be a vacation spot. We're, we're really happy to have you. Amen. Good to be in the presence of the Lord together. I was just there at his little church um, um, just a few weeks ago, and we spent our 44th anniversary, um, my wife and I, there in their little church just worshiping the Lord together, and that's you know, that's what it's all about. We don't belong to ourselves anyway. We belong to Jesus. So we, we had a wonderful time with them and just um, speaking to a lovely congregation, packed out just a house full of believers there that had gathered um, in New Albany area. So it was just wonderful to be with them. God bless you and your service for the Lord. And may, may, may he just energize you and strengthen you and give you rest as you have these few days here and wherever God leads you. And every person, we just welcome you today, and I hope you just feel welcome in the presence of the Lord. Those are on the internet, uh, some from South Africa telling me they'd be listening in. God bless you, saints. We love you and the Lord, and as you sojourn um, with us today in this service, may the Lord speak to you directly. Let's, let's look now at verse 20, Exodus chapter 23. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in thy way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Amen. We've been speaking about returning, um, the, you know, the people of the book, returning to the land of the book. And remember, God sent an angel ahead to prepare the way, amen, to bring us into this place. And, and yet we, we had a, um, a man, a, a human angel, if you want to speak of the messenger of the church of Laodicea. You see, John the Baptist was a messenger, which is angelos. So he was an angel that was sent from God. But, you know, we had not only just a, uh, an earthly angel, we, we have those supernatural angels, that have went forth to bring preparation and that are here with us right now in this building this morning. 
amen, to bring you into the place that has been prepared for you. And I think if you're lost, you're confused, if you're if you don't know the way around, if you're whatever the situation is in your life, the angel of God is here, the Holy Spirit, to lead you right back to the fountain of life. Amen. But beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not. He will not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt in, indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, and an adversary unto thy adversary. For mine angels shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites and to the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, neither do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send the hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate, and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee, until thou be increased and inherit the land. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou, thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. And then I would like to turn to 2 Kings chapter 19. We'll read from the third verse. And they say unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. Man, may God bless you, can, you can be seated. We notice here that God was making a promise to them, sending the angel before them, bringing them back to the land that would flow with milk and honey. In other words, it would be a fruitful land. And then, of course, he said I, that he would bless our bread and our water. I will take sickness from, uh, away from the midst of these. So he promised divine healing in this land. And, amen. The necessary needs that we have to be fulfilled. And then he would say that he would send my fear before thee and, and uh, would destroy all the people to thine come and your enemies would um, put their back to you and, and they would run from you, in other words. And, and then he, he made clear that there would be no barren in the land that, 
but it would be a fruitful land and that God would, would turn the barren situation into fruitfulness. Wonderful thing that God is doing. Then we find in the book of Kings, where we have just read, it was a um, day when Sennacherib would come down from Assyria and um, would come to fight against Judah, and he would, he would mock the God of Israel and tell them not to put any confidence in that God because he had, he had destroyed all the gods of the other lands. And then he tried to also convince Israel or the, the, the people of Judah that um, Hezekiah, by removing the high places and bringing them back to Jerusalem to worship, that he in, indeed had offended Jehovah himself. And so therefore, he was being sent by God himself, this Jehovah himself, to bring destruction to them. And of course, there was all kinds of um, different things that he was uh, was wanting to do, he 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 made them to pay tribute, and and they was he was taking bribes from them and things to to satisfy his his uh, wrath. And uh, but he said, I'm going to come, and I'm going to take you away from this land, and I'm going to take you and put you in another land, and it, it'll be a land that is a fruitful land, and and you'll prosper, and but it won't be this land. And so, uh, again, um, when Hezekiah hears all of this news and, and hears all of this blasphemy against God as the heralds of Sennacherib, his, his army would, would come out and, and shout out all of these blasphemies and against God and against uh, the king and against uh, the Lord himself. Um, that it would be that Hezekiah would become very troubled by this and he would take it to the Lord. And then he'd say, this is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy for the children are come to the birth and there is not strength to bring forth. Now this is a kind of a proverbial um, expression meaning that a dangerous crisis approaches and that the nation has no strength to carry it through the peril that is coming. And Brother Branham told us that, you know, that we too were in a, in a stage of birth pains, that the world was in birth pains, and that it was about to um, have been coming through the water um, in the days of Noah, the blood in the days of Jesus, and then the, the spirit, um, uh, or the fire that would come that would baptize the world with fire and cleanse it so the Spirit of God could come down upon it. You know, that, that as the world had went through that process or going through it, that we was about ready for our last and final birth pains. But then he comes around and he said, the church is also in birth pains. And that is to bring forth um, the promise of the word, Jesus Christ, back to the earth again. And of course, as we're looking at this today, as he, he, the question or what it was coming was, he said, the children are come to birth, but there is not strength to bring forth. So he's, he's likening Israel in their trouble to a travailing woman, a woman that's in travail, but she just, she is just labored so long and, and is now wore out and, and is unable to bring forth, have that final push to bring that child into being. 
And so my question today that as we look at these things, I, I want to just pose a question to us, knowing that we're here in a, also another day of time of blasphemy where it's against the word of God, a day of rebuke and trouble and, and, and every kind of threat of the enemy that wants to take and, and now take us out of the promised land of the word and put us over in some denominational camp where there is no power and where there is no real strength of the word of God to sustain a people. I want you to understand, I'm asking the question this morning, is there strength to bring forth? You know, Jesus asked the question, will I find faith? And this is where that he, he said, when the Son of Man cometh, will I find faith upon the earth? Well, will I find someone who will believe? Will I find that faith that is going to be needed in that hour? to take a people over into their promised land. And I just want to say today, there must be a church that reproduces Christ, that is of the same species, of the same character, and the same faith. In the sermon, um, it is the rising of the sun, Brother Branham would give the example of two luxury cars, and he said it was a Cadillac with, you know, as he described that maybe what, what he in that time thought was a, a very luxurious car, and it was for the time, but a Cadillac with doeskin leather seats and, you know, diamond studs in the steering wheel and, and polished hubs and filled with uh, the best gasoline, and, you know, in other words, loaded with scriptural theology. But yet had no sp- one of them had no spark to move down the road. And the other, of course, had spark. So, you know, again, when we, when we look at this car for a moment, it was a car that was uh, what they say a Ford is. You know, Ford, they, they used that as an acronym, was found on the road dead. Now, some of you Ford lovers won't love that, but I drove to church in the Ford, so don't get mad at me. Amen. But, but nevertheless, you know, we, we, you know, found on the road dead. And somehow, somehow this is what we find with, with so much of Christianity today. It's just, it's just found on the road dead. There's no life in it. There's no power in it. There's nothing to really save a man from his sins, but yet he has to live in his sins. And so he just in that dead condition. But I tell you, I'm believing that God's going to have a place somewhere. A bride around the world. I'm not just talking about a local assembly, but a place and a bride of Christ around the world. Where that, that she won't be found on the road dead. But she'll be found in this last day alive. Those who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord. That will not hinder the resurrection. What a, what a promise that is to us. Now, as we think about some of these found on the road dead, some of them are, are, are worth billions. And they will set thousands upon thousands of members. Some of them have ornate stained glass and fancy pews and, and they're, they're, the drivers who get behind the wheels are PhDs and, and uh, you know, with doctors of divinity and on and on and on, but it goes nowhere. It cannot move down the road to divine healing. 
It can't take you down to real deliverance and to real salvation and move you on to the rapture, but rather it is stranded and unable to move. Amen. Now, I tell you what, rather than having a car like that that's a dream car, I'd rather have an old jalopy that would run, that would take you down somewhere, wouldn't you? Amen. It's more important to have spark and, and the power within that engine to take you down the road. Now, Brother Branham would tell you in his Rise in the Sun in his illustration, he said that gasoline represents the Word. So it's full of the Word. It's the truth, but it's without the Spirit, it won't move. Amen. And then he says, and this is kind of going to be the key to what we're talking about this morning, we put too much stress on the mechanics and nothing on the dynamics. And he said it needs the dynamic power of God, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ upon the church to manifest and to bring to pass that this is gasoline. Amen. It might be in a gasoline can, but it should still be water. But the only proof of it is put life on it and it'll prove whether it's gasoline or not. So now if we want to know if we really got the word, if we really have received the word, will it take us down the road? Will it take us to deliverance? Will it take us to the power of God? Will it take us down to divine healing? Will it take us on to rapture? Amen. That's the question. Brother Branham would say, we put too much stress on the mechanics. We put too much stress on the body, getting it right and, and polished and looking pretty and looking nice, and we don't put enough on the dynamics. Now, I don't believe Brother Branham was against having a nice church and, and, and sitting in nice pews. They, they built two tabernacles during his lifetime, built one, the, the, the uh, new one over the old one there, trying to make things better and nicer for people to sit and, and cooler with air conditioning and so on and on and on, modernizing the building. He wasn't against that. But what he wanted was, was not so much emphasis on how nice a church is because a church without life is a dead church. Amen. We must have the life of God in every service. I'll tell you, I don't ever meet in vain. I want every service to be power packed, packed with the life of God, the Holy Spirit moving from the pulpit to the back pew. Amen. But now he would say there has been churches and churches and brides, brides and churches, brides, brides, but there's got to come one. Hallelujah, there's got to come a real bride. There must come one that's not only got the mechanics, but, but the dynamics of it that makes the church live and move in the power of his resurrection. But until we come to that place, until we find that place, what good does it do to polish the hub? What good does it do to give her a facelift? Or Simonized job when there's no dynamics in it. No matter how much mechanics prove to be right, there has to be the dynamics to make it work. 
And I'll tell you the same thing. You know, some people will criticize because you have a nice church and a nice building and a nice place to worship in, but they'll sit down in some little jalopy of a building, a little wreck of a place and a little storefront thinking that they're, they're holier than everybody else because they're so humble and they don't have no power of God and there's no healing and there's no deliverance. Amen. The building isn't what counts. Amen. What counts is the Holy Spirit moving in that church, demonstrating his glory among his people. That's what counts. Amen. All the, all the other is in vain. Amen. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I had a guy used to come to church when we were, when we were in an all abandoned building that hadn't had church in it for 15 years and and, uh, you know, we had swept up buckets full or basketfuls of wasp in it. And we had old barrel heaters uh, made out of drum barrels and pipes out the window to burn and try to have a little heat in the building. We had an outdoor toilet because we didn't have indoor facilities. We didn't have water at the place. We, we had six light bulbs and one, one plug-in. And this man would always come to me and he said, back to those little dimly lit places. You know, we got to get back. We got to get back to, and I thought, how far back dimly lit do you want to get? You need to look around. I mean, we got, we got rusty old pews that, that get splinters in you when you slide down them. And, you know, we, we freeze on one side and burn on the other. Uh, you know, there's no convenience. There's no air conditioning. How much more rustic do you want? Amen. But you see, he thought that getting a little more rustic would get him into God. But I'll tell you, that don't get you to God. Amen. What gets you to God is the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the power of Jesus Christ that'll make you live right, walk right, talk right. That dynamic power. Amen. I remember sitting in a, in a kinfolk's place, you know, one time when I was a young boy and seeing an old, old car had a hand wiper that you wiped like this. And us kids get in there and drive that old thing. Of course, it didn't move. But we could pretend that we were going down the road. Amen. And it was an old, an old car that had been left to sit, and the tires were, were rotted and run down. It wouldn't, nothing would move, nothing would crank. But, buddy, we could pretend. But what I do, here's the thing we don't want to pretend we're having church. Amen. We don't want to have a bunch of pretense that this is the message just because it's in a gasoline can of a building called a church. Amen. What we want is the power of God, the spark of the Holy Ghost that will ignite the word that is preached. Amen. Or otherwise, if it isn't being ignited, it might as well be water. But it's been prophesied that there is a people with strength to bring forth. Let me just read you a prophecy. This is from Spoken Words, Original Seed. And he says, now what, here's what I'm trying to say to you. The law of reproduction bring forth of its kind. Genesis 1.11. These last days true church bride comes to the headstone will be a super church. Amen. A super race. 
as he nears the great headstone, they will be so much like him, so much like him until they will be in his very image. As in order to be united with him, they will be one. They will be the very manifestation of the word of the living God. Amen. Amen. Now, of course, you know, today there, there can be a lot of bringing forth the members. There can be, look, we can bring forth beautiful buildings. We can bring forth even great sermons. But what about bringing sons of the word? A people who know their God and who do exploits. Amen. Now, of course, as we look in this, we're going to look into some prophecies of the last day, if you just will, because this will tell you a little day, a bit about the day of blasphemy and rebuke. Now, Jesus is on his way to Calvary. So as we're, as we're turning to Luke 23, 27, let me preface this by saying this. He was being led away to be crucified. Now, we know Jesus was the word. And there he was, he was um, being crucified, not because that he, he didn't, that he did something wrong, but because that he went against the preconceived ideas of the religious systems of that day. And so, as he is led away to be crucified, we break in on this scene in verse 27 of Luke 23. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. And then they shall begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and unto the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? In other words, if they do this kind of thing to the innocent, what will we happen when, when, when in the days when they're guilty? Now, so as we're looking at this for a moment, Brother Branham would explain this scripture, and it is a whole different light than what most theologians look at it. Because he said it speaks of a day where women wouldn't want no more children. Amen. They want a dog or a cat or something like that, but she doesn't want children anymore. Now, let me just, before we go further, any further, there's nothing wrong with owning a dog or a cat and enjoying a pet. I've had many of them through my life, and, and we're not condemning that. So let's get that thought out of our head right now. But here's, here's what we want to bring it down to, because we're talking about strength to bring forth. And he said that there was, he was, this was speaking of a day that women wouldn't want no more children. They want a dog or a cat or something like that, but she doesn't want children anymore. Why, she's old Mother Hubbard if she has a child. She doesn't want, so that's the remarks of Hollywood. It don't want some, this his woman to be an old Mother Hubbard. So he'll have some operation or she will perform himself or her to keep them from having children. They don't want no more children. And Jesus spoke of it and said, what did he, and what did he say at that time they will begin to cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them? She'll practice birth control so she can go to parties. 
She can't be bothered with a baby nursing her. It'll disform her. And when she's pregnant, it'll be deforming her, deform her. She won't look like she used to. And her husband is ignorant enough to let her go that way. She won't give him a child. And Jesus spoke of it. And he said that what they were doing is at that time, they will go to crying then for the rocks to fall on them. It's the coming of the Lord. And they'll pay great sums for cats and dogs to mother. That's right. She must mother something because it is a God-given nature. So now, even as we're talking about a society today, you know, motherhood is something that is now looked down upon. A homemaker is something that is unwanted. You know, the woman is, well, she's unfulfilled to raise children. You know, uh, she, she should be career-minded. And, you know, I mean, everything is exploiting a woman in a wrong position. And make them the firefighters and, the, and on the military. And, you know, make them, you know, the Amazon queen out here fighting. And then the man, you know, on the other hand has been feminized. Are you with me? And his masculinity taken away while the woman takes on that masculinity. Because it's in an hour of perversion. The Bible said it would come this way as it was in the days of Sodom. So shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. So you see this idea not to have human babies, but to have parent, but to parent fur babies instead has captured the imagination of the young adults and others in this generation. Man, I just read an article about the millennials, a generation that depends on technology and, and, is, and is politically opinionated and aware of climate change and are, and are woke in their understanding of society and culture and politics and environment. It says perhaps their need to foster animals trumps procreation for a socially conscious reason. Or maybe they're just second-generation hippies who would prefer to stay independent instead of being bogged down by parental responsibilities. Or, or simpler, they just like being pet parents. So the woman went on to talk about that this generation should be called Generation Rex. And if you're wondering why the playgrounds in the city are quiet and the dog runs are packed, a new report has an answer. More and more U.S. women are foregoing for motherhood and getting their maternal kicks by owning handbag-sized canines. Canines, sorry, canines. <laughs> Do they know the difference? But the data from this Center for Disease Control and Prevention shows that a big drop in the number of babies born to women aged 15 to 29 corresponds with a huge increase in the number of tiny pooches that are owned by young U.S. women. And, and said dog-crazy New York ladies told the, the Post they aren't surprised by the findings that they happily give up diaper changes, temper tantrums, and college funds for the easy affection of their doggy child. So, you know, the millennials are are opting out for pets and not parenthood. And they explain why. Because, you know, the dogs need heaps of love and attention, but not constant monitoring like a human child. 
And it isn't considered an abusive or illegal practice to leave your pup at home alone when you head off to work. And parents don't have the luxury to do this with a child because kids have to be watched all the time. You know, this insanity gets worse. In the recent news here lately, a woman, you know, of course she did admit to having mental trouble and for her mental capacity, you know, she was suing her her uh, homeowners association because uh, they forbid her to have chickens and she had four pet chickens which were prescribed to her to help cope with her stress and so she said her girls are her life sound like people that went to the chickens you know there there again i mean we're living in an insane world where people can't tell what's right from wrong. We have a whole generation that exalts the creation above the creator. And they will do this and we'll see them, you know, elevating animal rights over human rights. And they'll worship because the Bible said in the book of Romans that in the last days they will worship the creation over the creator. So it's now been taught in our, our schools and by esteemed educators, you know, um, where, where, they, where they promote animal rights and, and so on. That, and it, it fosters these ideas that are coming out now and, and are real catchy among the world that we live in beyond meat and the impossible burger. And it's an attempt to make meat by man in order to stop or limit animal um, uh, as used for food because they cause that abuse. And the reason for it is, is because men are now worshiping the, crea- the, the creation rather than the creator. And then, of course, as you look into this, many of you don't realize, but there's an underlining um, th- thing that is bringing the world together. And the religions of the world are even binding together for the good of mankind because of the environment and climate change becomes the tool for bringing the religions of the world into a one world government. You know, and the thought is if you don't love the environment, you know, then, you know, if you don't go along with their ideas and you don't love the environment and you're a, you're a hater, and you know, if this isn't bizarre enough, we even have seminary students. We're talking about religious people in religious seminaries in America, in New York, confessing sins to plants. Now, this is insanity. Now, let's just talk for a moment because we're talking about, we're talking about strength to give, bring forth birth. And Brother Bradham said, now, we're here in this last day and it's a prophecy and there's a prophecy, he says, don't weep for me, but weep for your children. Because we're coming into a day and hour where things are fastly changing. And so, you know, again, the, the idea of putting animals to, with equal rights to man or giving them rights, period. Are you with me? It comes from the spirit of insanity that's in this world. The source of rights comes from God himself. 
He's the one who gives rights. And he gave man his capacity for rational thought because he was, man was made in the image of God. But to give rights to creatures that are irrational, lacking a moral sense and incapable of living in a rights-based environment makes a mockery of the very concepts of rights and ultimately threatens man himself. And now to show you the spirit that is behind this, the, the, the man, Peter Singer, who is widely viewed as the father of international animal rights movement, Singer publicly stated that parents have, should have the right to euthanize their children within 28 days of birth who have severe handicaps, said the fact killing a defective infant is not, is not morally equivalent to killing a person, he's written. Sometimes it's not wrong at all, but, it, but apparently, apparently, though, killing an animal is. You see, let me just carry, carry this down while we're here on this subject. To say we should not eat animals is to challenge God himself and to... And to question God's own goodness. For he said in Genesis 9.3, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as every green herb have I given you all things. So then, so then to question or to say we should not eat animals is to challenge God and challenge his own goodness. As he would say and carried it further into 1 Timothy 4 and 1, that he said, the Spirit speaks expressly. In the latter times, some shall depart from faith, from the faith given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Notice what Paul calls these. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now watch, because they're being taught in our schools. They're being taught by our educators. And he says, he brings it, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified or made holy by the word of God in prayer. Amen. Now, of course, we're against animal cruelty, and God is against it. But to elevate animals to human rights removes man from his position of sonship and makes animals equal to him. So here we get it, you know, fur babies and pet kids and pet grands. Instead of raising children for God, it's a part of the prophecy of the last day. Now, Jesus said, if they did this to me, where they beat and stripe and crucify when I have done nothing wrong, what will happen the last day when human life will be devalued? Now, Brother Branham would give the illustration of this, and he said, you know, the time will come, he said, where, that, where they won't want to have children and raise children for the, the, to glorify God and, and, and to, to, to be in position. You know, the family is under attack. The structure of the home is under attack. Motherhood has been under attack. Amen. 
And then, of course, fatherhood is under attack. Marriage itself is under attack. Somebody help me preach now. The whole thing, the every, every, everything of the Word of God, Satan is coming against it in every way that he can. And you're going to be the one thought irrational. You're the one that's going to be thought, uh, you know, hard-headed and stupid. Amen. And, and worthy of jail time and, and sent to prison and whatever else because you go against the trends of society. And Brother Branham gave the illustration, he says, of a mother bear that doesn't conceive during the winter and said she'll hunt up last year's cubs and mother them and she has to mother something. Remember that. This is, this is why all the, all the need for the pet grants and and even, and let me just say, even the, uh, the, the deal of the feminist spirits getting there upon the homosexual community, and then they'll get into livestock raising and little baby goats or lambs or, or calves or this or that or the other, and they're flooding the whole, the whole livestock in, industry and all the pet industry because they've got to mother something. Are you with me? Amen. But, but again, again, what about the church? And Brother Bannon said, if a woman won't have a baby for her husband, she'll take a cat or a dog or something. She's got a mother or something. It's a nature. But to bear a child for her husband and raise it to the service of God, that's entirely out of her line. She should. Oh, no, she'd be so disgraced if she did by her sin-loving society of this 1965 type of women. What about right here in 2019, nearly over 50 years later? Are you with me? But then he equates and he said, a true picture of the modern church today, neither does the modern church here want any screaming, shouting, tongue speaking, Acts 238 youngins around her. Yeah, yeah, she don't want any of them hooping and crying and screaming. Amen, hallelujah. Wow, such a child would immediately throw her out of her denomination. They had one like that in her churches. Why they throw her out right quick? Why are you letting such stuff as that go on? So you see, she's pregnated with something because she's bringing forth members all the time. But she don't want none of them screaming, hollering, blabbering, Acts 238 miserable creatures that she thinks they are. It would certainly embarrass her. It would ruin her and her educated, ethical, scientific society church that she belonged to here. They would throw her out at the next council. She can't have it. So she don't want to be pregnant with the word. Is anybody listening? Because that's the only kind that the word can bring forth. Now we talk about wanting the word, the word, the word, the word, but the only kind the word can bring forth, amen, is not going to be pet babies. Come on, where you have to pet them and baby them to church and, and they're backslidden all the time. They can never have deliverance in their life. Are you with me? But what God wants is genuine, full-born sons and daughters of God that are in his image and in his likeness. Amen. The only kind the word can bring forth is those that's got a spark in them. They must come to light. And what I'm asking today is the church, is the bride church, is the message church, do they have the strength 
to bring forth children of the word. Those Pentecostal babies, Acts 2.38, the only kind that the word can bring forth. Those kind, when they come and they're born, they're born with a life in them. It's not a stillbirth. It's not a dead baby. It's not a quiet baby. Come on. It's a baby that's screaming, yelling, hollering, amen, rejoicing because life, the breath has entered into them. Amen. Born of the Spirit. It has the Spirit of God in it. He said, no intellectual church, John Creed, gone, bobbed hair, painted face. There's no such of that thing as that and all of it. You don't find that in the Word of God. Amen. Now he tells what you find in the Word of God. You find an old-fashioned, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled child born of the Spirit of God, screaming and hollering and shouting and praising God. But that's all together out of the reaches for her. She don't want none of that. Oh, what does she do then? She brings forth a, a pair of painted face, short wearing Jezebel Society illegitimate cats, they call them. Oh, she was born and married, connected with her. She was married, connected with her first husband, the first Adam, by the adulterous wife of Eve, Adam's first wife. You say adulterous, she sure was. But oh, she claims that Adam... This Adam, this first Adam is dead. So oh, he died a long time ago, and I'm reborn again. I'm, I'm certainly married to the second Adam, Christ, the Word. But he said, notice what she loves. Now, you want to know if she's really married to him, what does she love? Watch her lover, and you can see what she's love, in love with. The church says this, or the Word says this, but she says, my church says this. Then who she is in love with, who is her husband? Her own fruits prove who she is. She was born first to Adam. That's her natural birth. She's never left that. She's a lover of the world. And she claims she's born the second time to Christ. But her lover notices to Adam yet because she loves the world. And another thing, notice what kind of children she is bearing. It tells what their papa is, whether it's the first Adam or the second Adam. Amen. If the church belongs and brings forth a child of the second Adam. Amen. He acts the second Adam's way of acting like they did on the day of Pentecost. That is a really true second Adam's children. How many can say amen to that this morning? Amen. That's what God is asking the church. Do we have strength to bring out of this word that has been given? The seals have been taken off of it. The mysteries have been revealed. Hallelujah, the seven thunders have uttered their voices. Amen, God has spoke to this generation. Amen, but now do we have strength to bring forth? Because to bring it forth, it's got to be something with life in it. Amen. Now, Brother Branham would tell us in marriage and divorce. Now, some of these things are a little difficult for a lot of modernists to swallow, but it's still our message. (laughs) But he talked about in, in marriage and divorce, speaking about Christ, said he can put the church away, but she cannot put him away. He did it and he's proved it in the days of Luther, Wesley, and Pentecost when they refused 
to become further part of him by having a spiritual sexual affair to become pregnated with further part of the word. You understand she refused. The Lutheran church refused for Christ to have any more desire with her. Luther refused. And let me say this. You're going to call me something anyhow. So it is today with every one of them. They fail to take that word. They refuse Christ. And any woman that refuses a man, his child has no right to be a wife to him. Amen. Remember in the Bible when the king married Esther because the queen refused, he just got another one. What happened when she refused to come out with the king and obey him? The same thing it is when a woman refuses to be wife to her husband. And so it with the church that refuses to become pregnant in the age that we now live to bring forth children of this age. We are not Lutheran, and we're not Wesleys, and neither are we Pentecostals. We've got to be children of this age through the pregnancy of the Word of God to bring forth the, the, a child of this age, a seed child. I hope you understand. Amen. Now, he goes on, and he said, but he said, now, notice that the bride will be a lovely little lady of the Word, unadulterated, not touched by any man's organization or any man-made theory. She'll be purely unadulterated bride of the Word. Amen and amen. I hope you get that not on the air. And I'm saying this morning, even out on the air, I hope you get that. Amen. There's got to be a bride in this last day that has the strength. To bring forth a child with life in it. Now, saying this, I'm afraid that we have overemphasized the letter and underemphasized the spirit. Too much stress, he said, on the mechanics and nothing on the dynamics. Let me just go over some things about the gospel and what the gospel is and the great commission that has been given. Brother Branham would, would emphasize this many times, and so I've just picked out a few, and I think Brother Timothy may have read one of these or maybe some of these Wednesday night. It was a great message, Brother Timothy. God bless you for that. But he, he, said, he said here, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. Now listen, see whether that's right or not. Preach the gospel to every nation. That's the United States and to all the world. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. And in my name they will cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents, Drink deadly things or lay their hands on the sick and shall not harm them. Now, he didn't say go teach the word. He said go preach the gospel. And he said the word is the beginning or the forerunner of the gospel. You read that one. And the word goes out and the gospel of, and the power of the demonstration of God follows the word and makes the word manifest. That's the gospel. Right? Amen. Now, the Bible said that, that God went with them confirming the word with signs following them. Amen. So, the word went forth and God confirmed it. 
Amen. Now, I, I've got this. to me, this is on shouting grounds. If, if this, if the word is the forerunner of the gospel, and we today have received the word again, hallelujah, then glory to God, if the word is the forerunner of the gospel, then the power, the demonstration of God follows the word. Hallelujah. Amen. No wonder we sing, we shall see miracles. Amen. Why? Well, no wonder we can stress and know that our God will be a God that is among us, healing the sick, delivering his people, moving in his church. Because the word has went forth as the forerunner for the signs to follow them that believe the word. Amen. Now, he would also go on to say, and then this is another one. Christ never told us to build any seminary or anything like that. He said, preach the gospel. And the gospel isn't word only, but through power and manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which would produce the signs of Mark 16 when he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. These signs shall follow them. The word itself is dead. Until it becomes in an action and produces life. Are you with me now? The word itself is dead. Until it comes into action and produces life. Amen. You say, well, we got the word, the word, the word. And I'm telling a lot of you dead churches out there, it's just a dead word. It's a word without life until it becomes God-breathed. And when it becomes God-breathed, moved on by the Spirit, it heals, it delivers, it sets free. There's a lot of word that's laying there lifeless. Amen. Oh, my. And, but, but listen, it's just, and, and listen, here's what your prophet said. It's just waiting for someone with faith to anoint it and make it live again. Somebody with me now. Am I waiting for you to anoint it with faith? Amen. Because it takes a faith to spark that word, to make it live. Amen. Now, so it's because it's the atmosphere that brings forth the product. Now, so again, he would talk about it again. Let me just share a couple of these more. But he says in the missionary talk, he said the word gospel means good news. The good news is the Bible, and the Bible is the letter. And the letter killeth, and the Spirit giveth life. So Paul said the gospel came not through word only. Brother Branham said it. We're putting too much stress on the mechanics and nothing on the dynamics. Amen. Now, I'll tell you right now, the moment you start talking like that, then you get somebody trying to tell you you're going to be an old Mother Hubbard. You're just going to be another Pentecostal. You're, you're, going, you're, you're going to be something, something like that. You know, you, you know that, that ain't what we do today. We're, we're here in the Word age. And what you got in your Word age is you got a letter that is killing you. Amen. But I, let me tell you something, friends. It wasn't sent to kill you. It was the gasoline that only needs the fire, the Holy Ghost to come upon that word and prove that what you really got is gasoline. 
because otherwise it might as well be water. Now, so he said the only way the gospel could be preached would be to manifest the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, he said then, strictly speaking, when he said the signs must follow them, may, not the signs may follow them, they ought to follow them, they shall follow them. Therefore, strictly speaking, a man cannot qualify himself as a believer until this has happened. No church can have the right of calling themselves a believing church until these signs have followed them. Amen. And what to do? And it's making the word manifest. Now, again, and what is the Holy Ghost? He said, he said, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And what does the gospel? Not word only, but through the power and demonstrations of the Holy Ghost, making the word of God manifest is the gospel. So now, again, you know, the denominations, Brother Brandon said, couldn't take the gospel and finish the Great Commission because he said they couldn't receive all the word. Amen. And so now, again, if we're going to finish the Great Commission, we receive the word. Amen. Then to preach the gospel is to make the word of God manifested. Amen. To see the word demonstrated in its power. Amen. Now, Again, in five identification, he says, Paul said the gospel came not to us in word only, but through power and manifestation of the Holy Ghost. The gospel is the power of God to make the word act. What it says it'll do, preach the gospel into all the world. So the gospel is the power of God to make the word act. So if the power of God to make the word act isn't in the body of believers, they're not believers. They're only professed believers. They have a profession without a possession. Amen. They're bringing forth stillborn babies instead of babies with life in them. They don't have strength to bring forth what kind of word said that they would produce. Now again, what is the gospel? Not just word only, Paul said, but manifestation of the word. The gospel came to not into word only, but through power and demonstration, go on all the world and demonstrate the power of the resurrection. See, these signs shall follow them that believe. Just teaching the word won't do it. You've got to have the power of the Holy Ghost behind the word to make it come to life again. Amen. There again, he says, it takes more than just teaching a word. It takes a manifestation of that word to make these signs follow. That's right, God manifesting himself. Oh, my. There again, he would say, otherwise, the only way the signs of Mark 16 can follow the believer is that the Holy Spirit himself takes the word of God and demonstrates it to the people. Now, faith makes that word live. And then again in Christ, the mystery, a great sermon that that everybody should listen to. And if a man says he's born again and he tries to place these promises of Christ in this last day to some other age, making him Christ yesterday but not today, then that man or that person has been in a delusion by Satan. 
And if a man says that he believes that and it doesn't manifest through him, Jesus said, Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe into all the world to every age, casting out devils, speaking with tongues, all these great manifestation of gifts that would follow that. They shall, not they may be, they ought to, they will, and heavens and earth will pass away, but his word won't. Hallelujah. Amen. He come right along and it is the rising of the sun. What we was just reading about the dynamics. He said the gospel came not in the word only, but through power and manifestation of the Holy Spirit to prove that he is alive. Amen. And he said, but oh, I'm so glad there is a 10,000 octane power. The word of God. Amen. I'll tell you, it's already been demonstrated the power of this word. Amen. It, it can create. It can heal. It can save. Amen. It can speak storms out of you, out of existence. Somebody help me preach. Amen. It, there is power that lays in this word. A 10,000 octane power. The word of God. And, oh, did you get it? And the Holy Ghost to light it up. It's not just enough to have the quotes. It's not just enough to read Bible verses. It's not just enough to teach the Bible and teach the message. It's got to be preached. And that means it's got to be manifested and demonstrated. Oh, yeah. He said, there's a 10,000 octane power, the word of God, the Holy Ghost to light it up. And resurrect the power of God into a man's life or a woman's life into a church that shoved that Cadillac down the road under the dynamic power of the Holy Ghost, which came back and was waved again at the day of Pentecost, making him the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the thing of this is, and God help me here, but when Brother Branham left us, he left us a car that had both mechanics and dynamics. But somebody turned it off and took away the key and said only William Branham could drive a car. And the car ain't going to move no more until he comes back. Well, I got news for you. He ain't coming back until the resurrection. And after the resurrection, you know, after we're changed, we won't need divine healing. We won't need a rapture. We'll be in the rapture. We, we won't need any of the great things that we got to drive to. Amen. Don't put me back to horse and buggy. Don't take and put me back to an ox cart. Don't put me back to horseback or, or walking. Amen. I, I'm right here in this age, brother. We, we have got a car that can drive. It can run right down the road to divine healing. It can, it can pick up all your children along the way and bring them into salvation. There's a power, hallelujah, that will drive down to divine healing. It'll drive down to miracles. It'll drive on to a rapture. There's a power in this car. Hallelujah, because there is a spark of the Holy Ghost that is moving on the inside of her that is driver and driver and driver until every promise of God is fulfilled. Hallelujah. 
hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Glory to God. We'll just get the key of faith back in the ignition and turn it on. This car will drive. Amen. It won't pretend to drive and we won't be sitting there like a bunch of kids pretending we're going somewhere where we're still stuck in the same position we were 10 years ago. But no, it'll drive. It'll drive. That's the thing I've battled with preachers for years. I was told, you can't even sing Only Believe because that was his theme song. Well, my question is, why can't it be the bride's theme song? Why can't we be ones who believe? Amen. I was was told that you can't lay hands on the sick. That was Brother Branham's job. Don't tell me I wasn't. I was there. Amen. I know what I'm talking about. And the moment that these old deadheads see someone in the driver's seat, they immediately want to send out a warning saying, don't try to be Brother Branham. There's only one to an age. Oh, yeah. I know there's but one prophet to this generation. I'm not stupid enough to try to take his place. And I know we saw demonstrated the Messiah sign. And there's only one of them to a generation. It was shown to Israel in their closing day. It was shown to the Gentiles in our closing day. It was shown to, it was to identify to us the word. And there will be no one else have that sign. The messianic sign was given to show us the attitude. Once more time, one more time. The same attitude that Jesus has toward the sick. Amen. Toward the lost. Towards mercy. It was to vindicate that the word has come. And to demonstrate the power that lies within the word. Amen. We don't have the Messiah sign, but we do have the Messiah. Amen. And, And Brother Branham would say, and God gave us the Messiah, his promised word for this day. And it's just waiting for somebody with faith to anoint it and make it live again. I'm going to say we got the message. We got the word. We got the Bible. It's unsealed. It's unveiled. Amen. But oh, let us have be some people with some faith to anoint it. To make it live again. Oh, it's a real Messiah. It's the word of God, which Jesus said, both heavens and earth will pass away, but my word shall never pass away. But the church sits spiritually dead. The hour has passed them. They're in a slump and hardly know what to do. One running this way and the other that way and hear every promise that God made in the Bible. Every one of them is laying there just as good as they ever was. It's the hour. What makes a church like this? We're in the age of Laodicea. When when she has to come this way, this is the hour for it. So agreed. We can't be William Branham. We will. And and just let me me just say it like, you know, let, let me mean it like this. 
You know, let, let me get it like this. I don't think we should try to be him. I don't think we should impersonate him. And we're not going to have the Messiah sign, but the Messiah is here. Amen. The anointed word, and because he is here, there will be prophecies. There will be word of knowledge. There will be word of wisdom. There will be discerning of spirits. Amen. There will be diverse type of tongues and interpretation of tongues. There will be workings of miracles, and there will be gifts of healing, and there will be somebody with faith to anoint it to make it live again. There'll be a people who can believe. And those, and there also will be those with green-eyed jealousy who want to crucify the workings of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'll tell you right now, I just stop and pause. And this ain't going to work well in the face of some. But I'm praying, God help me to be a big man. He said, what in the world, Brother Tim? You're supposed to be humble. You're right. I'm supposed to be humble. I'm to humble down to God's word. But I'm not to humble down to man's ideas. Here's what a big man is. This is what I'm praying. God help me to be a big man. Jesus with his head back walking on, the priests are screaming at him, making fun of him. All others are calling, crying, Hosanna. But did you notice the whole burden of all the world rested on him? Calvary, the dark hours in Gethsemane lay before him, and only as he went, he never noticed their scoffing. And you know, when someone says something evil about you and you want to take it up and get angry about it, that shows you hadn't went quite deep enough yet with God. Big men don't do those things. That's what made him God to me. He was big. He didn't have to notice their little scoffing. He had a a purpose. He had a work to do. And that was fulfill what God had sent him to do. And he was determined to do it. And he didn't care what anyone else said. And I say this with respect to all I have. I've been offered great position in churches. If I'd forget about divine healing and a good salary and a fine home, but God sent me to pray for his sick children, it don't make any difference what anyone else says. I have a commission to do. And they can say, holy roller, or whatever they wish, I've got a commission to do. And you've got a commission to do. And everyone that's born of the Spirit of God has a commission to do. It don't make any difference what the world says, and you don't have to notice their scoffing. And I'm just saying, God help me to be a bigger man. Amen. To what I am so big till I don't care about the scoffing. That I got my mind on one thing, and that's the message. And that message is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I don't care how much we're made fun of and called old Mother Hubbard because we have a church that has given birth to Acts 238 blabbering, screaming, yelling children, amen, that are alive in the power of God. I don't care what kind of name they want to attack on us. Amen. I want to be big enough that I don't notice anybody scoffing. Let them scoff. I've got a purpose. I've got a job. I've got a ministry to fulfill. How many feels that way this morning? Amen. God help me to be a big man that I don't know. 
notice the scuffing of the world. I do what the word says anyhow, because I am commissioned. I am commissioned to preach the gospel, to demonstrate it with power, to see the Holy Ghost come and the Holy Ghost move on the lives and hearts of men and women. Oh, but the reason you don't see things happening in the church is because they claim to believe in the blood, but they reject the very plan to get into to the blood, the word. Amen. Now listen, we got the word. Signs are going to follow the word. Amen. Now, so you see, he says, no wonder they can't believe in miracles. No wonder. No wonder they condemn it. And the same reason they condemned it back there is the same reason they condemn it today. They're guilty as they can, guilty can be because only under the shed blood. And those who would dare, would you dare drive that car? Would you dare use that same key and turn it on like the prophet did? Would you dare? Would you dare? Oh, just sit there, Brother Tim. You know, you're, you're, you're kids, you're just to pretend. You just can pretend that this thing will run. You're just to pretend that we're to have divine healing. We're, you're, you're just to, depend, to just pretend. Just pretend that the church has power. We, and then we got the word. Look, look here at the car. And let's polish it a little bit more today. And let's put some Simon eyes on it. You know, where, where it got scratched up a little by somebody. You know, because you know, it got used. Anybody knows you got a new car, it's going to get scratched. It gets used. Car that don't ever get a scratch ain't never got out of the garage. Amen. Oh, yeah, it's going to get scratched. It's going to have what, what people call blemish. They're going to be, people make fun of it. All kinds of things. Are you with me? Amen. But I, I tell you, it wasn't made. The church isn't made to be a showcase. We are not a museum of where the Holy Spirit used to move. We are not a museum. You know what? We have uh, articles and, and, and uh, facts and, and, and pieces lined on our walls of what God used to do. We're not a museum. Amen. We are a living, breathing, acting church, the bride of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we're sent to finish a commission. And that commission is preach, demonstrate that gospel, demonstrate it in our lives, demonstrate that he still reigns over sin. He still reigns over disease. He still reigns over affliction. That this God still reigns and that his car, his church will drive. It's got a power in it. Crucifixion. 
just as well as there are the women, you know, that are having their, their pet babies and their pet grands and their pet this, and, and they won't bring forth children, and there's a church that won't bring forth children. Amen. But also, right here in this last day, look at the trouble that we're in. A day of blasphemy. Uh, even God's against that. Oh, even the Lord's against it. Sinatrib sinner. The Lord Jehovah's against you, Hezekiah. Look, look here, I, I, I found a quote over here against you. I found a, listen, in the face of your quote, I can find 5,000 the other way. Hey Amen, let's balance it out. Amen, you pray, you say, well, we got church order, and we need church order. I believe in church order, but I think sometimes people need to have a, get out of church order long enough to get saved. You church order God right out of the church. Until it becomes a dead morgue. Well, we sing so long. Now, you can only preach so long. Now, if you preach longer than that, well, I done broke your mode. And I'm not ashamed. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to get a complex about it. I've got a commission. I've got a job to do. Amen. And I honestly would say to a lot of you, if you had something to preach, you might preach a little longer. Because you had some substance. And there was a power of God that was going with it. And the audience was still with you. And the spirit of God was still moving. Amen. As long as the Holy Ghost has fallen, we ought to preach. We ought to worship. We ought to move in the power of God. There's a man come up to me one day with a quote. Because I preached a little long in a meeting. He brought me a quote. I thought I'd like, you'd like to see what the prophet said. He said, you know, sermons should be about 45 minutes. I said, yeah. I said, you read the other one where he said, well, if it's just all believers, you could preach all night. So I said, next service, I'll just dismiss all you unbelievers and I'll preach all night. Yeah. Hallelujah. I understand, I understand, I understand. I understand we can sit through three hours of a ball game. I understand, I understand we can sit for hours at a movie. But I understand the gospel hasn't lost its attraction. I was in Brother Ron Spencer's church here the other day, you know, and, and there was so many that come. Brother Wayne Lawson and I, and um, let's see, who, who else did we have? Somebody help me. Yeah, Brother Donnie. My goodness, how did I forget him? So we had, the, we had the, me and Brother Donnie and Brother Dwayne Lawson preaching at the, the meetings. And, uh, man, the place was packed out. I mean, there was just... It wasn't even standing room only. They were they were around the walls, up and up and every little crack and corner everywhere. And I looked out and I said, "Huh, 
This looks like a Branham meeting to me where people are eager to come to church. Amen. Gary Stanky says to me all the time, he drives up, 70-something-year-old man, he'll drive up from Manny and he'll, two hours, and he'll say, a church alive is worth the drive. A lot of you feel the same way. Sister Grace Tacky's from Mississippi drove over this morning because a church alive is worth the drive. Amen. That's the way that it ought to be. Amen. A church where the power of God is moving. Are you with me? And he said, and those who would dare, some little brother who dares under humility to take God at his word and walk out there and confess his sins and forget all these dogmas and things and stand there under the blood and believe it, then they want to call him a fanatic. Oh, they have crucified the effects of the word. I got a bunch of scripture on that. I might quote two or three of them. They crucified, say, how do you, how did they crucify the word when Jesus Christ said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13 and 8. They say, in such a way he is. And Jesus said his last commandment, going to all the world, Mark 16, preach the gospel, these signs shall follow them that believe to all the world and every creature and half of it ain't reached and there's millions dying every year that never heard the name of Jesus, so it's still the same general, still the general orders, it's still a commandment of God. All the world preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Are you with me? Amen. So it's still the general orders. And he said, but they say that was for that generation. And, and they make the commandment of God of none effect to this, and they crucify the effect. You see, the crucifixion today is not trying to kill the man, Jesus, but to kill the effect of the gospel. Oh, well, it's true, but... Oh, yeah, it worked back then, but watch out now, you know, Brother Tim, you're not supposed to drive this car. I'm not. Well, who is? Some of you have let it sit dead for over 50 years and ain't went nowhere. You ain't even got a tire mark to prove you moved an inch. I'm not trying to be smart. I mean, God help me. I'm trying to be big. I'm trying to say I've got a commission. And we've got a commission. And and what we're asking this morning, is there, is there a church, is there a people, is there a bride somewhere that has the strength to bring forth in the face of all the opposition? Now, is there strength to stand? Now, let me just tell you where we're commanded to stand. Can I take just a few more minutes? All right, let's go to Joshua 1 and 3. And let me tell you where we have been commanded to stand. The position, in other words, we have been commanded to take. Now, I am fully convinced that all one man's scriptures have been fulfilled. And I'm not in any way trying to say I'm the only driver. 
I'm saying that you got the car too. Drive your car down to healing, down to deliverance. Amen. But now we have been commanded to stand somewhere. Look at Joshua 1 and 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given to you. As I said unto Moses. So now he is, he is, he said, I've given you this land. I want you to go take possession of it. Amen. I'll tell you, we were left a car that would run. I say, let's go take possession of it. And as I was with Moses, Brother Branham would explain this. Because, you know, immediately someone said, Oh, Brother Tim, don't go trying to be the Joshua. Well, in this case, you want to be the Joshua. You want to stand where Joshua stood. Are you with me? Because he said, said again, Joshua, the new commander, to lead an army, the second place, uh, the second to the place where a great man like Moses stood. It was no little task. And I think of a minister today that's called of God to step into the tracks where Jesus stood. What a command. What a commission. But each that's called of God is commissioned to stand in that same place. I'll be with you even in you to the end of the world. Each minister is called to stand where he would. The works that I do shall you do also. Each minister is ordained of God and is commanded to stand in the tracks of Jesus Christ and perform the duties that Jesus performed. That's quite a command. Amen. So don't tell me, don't tell me John 14, 12 is not for me. Although I do have a book in my library that was put out by message preacher many, many years ago that said John 14, 12 is only for Brother Branham. Now, it collects dust in my office, and it's a relic that I, I never reference because I know better. I left that book far behind. Amen. Because John 14, 12 says, the works that I do shall you do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. Are you with me? Amen. So Jesus made it personal to every individual. And that's the way Brother Branham would make it. Personal to every individual. Amen. So, But every minister, every minister is ordained of God, commanded to stand in the tracks of Jesus Christ and perform the duties that Jesus performed. That's quite a command. He said, we also find Joshua knowing his commission, knowing it laid in his hand. God had called him for duty that he must not fail. He walked softly before God, and when he called the people together and told them that God had commissioned him, watch the request of the people. They said, we'll follow you as we did Moses. If we can see the same thing that followed Moses following you, only be strong and courageous. And that ought to be the requirement of every born-again person today. If we're requested to follow, then let's see the signs follow the believers. As Jesus said, the things that I do shall you do also. Notice every believer, is somebody with me now? Every believer is to stand in those steps. 
And he said, every one of them must do. They said to Joshua, if, if you, if we see God is with you as he was with Moses. Now, Joshua didn't do the same signs as Moses. He didn't use the rod like Moses. He didn't call frogs like Moses. He didn't imitate Moses. He just did what he was called to do. Are you with me? And he said, if we're requested to follow, then let's see the signs. Follow the believer. Oh man, you're, you're asking, you're asking for others to follow. Well, let's just, let's see the signs of a Christian. Let's see the holiness of God. Let's see the honesty. Let's see the purity. Let's see the righteousness. You want others to follow you. You know, you want your children to follow in your footsteps. Amen. Then let's see that same thing that was in Jesus living in you. Then you'll be a life worthy of following. Are you with me? Now Joshua had to take this command. And the people said, go, let God be with you as he was with Moses. And we'll know that the same spirit that led us thus far can take us on. Oh, how the church ought to look this morning to find the spirit working among the people. If you want a church home where the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit, that'll move among the people, that's, that's the spirit that's raised, that God's raising up in the last day to take a people over into the the other land into the full promise of all the blessings of God and to the full commission that he gave or the promise, the promises unto you and to your children. Amen. So Brother Brandon said, if you, if you want a church home with the Spirit of God, and that's what I think we want. Amen. We want a church home where preachers are anointed. They don't just get up and read you and do you a little sermon, but they're anointed. There's a fire shut up in their bones. You know, somebody said to me this week, and I, and I don't mean to get into, into something negative here on this at all, but somebody said something to me this week. Said, you know, said, well, Tim, there are those that said of you, it's just your ego, why you wanted this big church. I said, my ego, I was, my, my goodness, I, I was happy where I was. If God hadn't given me a divine command to go and do something, and then God was with me every step of the way, until this building is totally debt-free with miracle after miracle after miracle, and it was my ego, I said, what they call ego is God's zeal. Amen. They're mistaken what it is. It's not an ego. It's God's zeal. I said, because I was zealous for his people. Because I wanted God's people to be able to gather together in our fall meetings and see the Spirit of God move as, as others were invited to come because we had a vision. Besides us four and no more. Amen. Because I was going to make sure it wasn't just a family church, but it was a family of God church. And it would be run by the Holy Ghost. I said, it's not an ego. It's the zeal. It's the zeal of God. And God put a righteous zeal in every believer. There ought to be a zeal to get to the house of God. There ought to be a zeal to read your Bible, to hear the word of God preached. 
Hallelujah. You are a people of zeal. That's why you sit here service after service and you come sit on the edge of your seat and you're not playing around on your phone or you're not communicating something else and, or working somewhere else doing something else in your mind. You're right here in the service pulling on the gift of God because you're a people that's got a zeal. I want Jesus. I want his word. I want his truth. I want his power. I want a car that'll drive. I need it to drive down, pick up my family, save the lost, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, Brother Branham would say, Joshua, in all his knowing that the command was great, but having the assurance that he could be fearless, he could be, and we call it reckless. Well, I've always been kind of reckless. When I was out in the middle of the country, and you know where it was where the GPS couldn't find us. And I had a little church there in the back, in the back woods. And people around here wonder, where in the world all these people come from? We built this building that was filled up. Hey, where in the world? Well, we'd been out in the country. Started there in 1972. An old, an old abandoned building. And a Baptist preacher come there for a funeral. And I opened it up. By that time, we had running water and a toilet that some people thought we were unspiritual for having. If I'd have listened to scoffers, you wouldn't even have a toilet. And Baptist preacher come in and looked around and he said, son, he was there to preach a funeral. I was there to open up the building for, for the convenience of the, uh, of the people, the mourners that come. He come and looked around and he said, son, I sure, am, I sure admire your courage. I looked at him and I said, courage? What in the world are you talking about Courage. He said, the courage to come out here in the sticks like this and start a church, that's courage. You see, it don't fit. But I knew if I would preach the word, people will come. Now, people got that the opposite. They think if you preach the word, won't nobody be there. But I got news for you. God's going to have a bride. He'll have an elect. He'll have a people that is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So if you preach the word, people will come. The hungry will come. But I was fearless. And Brother Brandon said, I was reckless. I'll be honest with you, I was reckless. I didn't know any better. I didn't know you were supposed to go and scout out how many people lives in this place and, you know, and then decide if that would support a church or not. And you do all of the math and, and figure it out, and, you know, for all the people that, because they won't drive more than 15 minutes or else they'll go to the next church who's closer. That's America. 
That's America. Amen. So I didn't know to do all that. So I was reckless. I was fearless. I didn't have no fear. I just did what God called me to do. Let chips fall where they may. Some people say, well, Brother Tim, you know, how long you've been a pastor? Well, I said, you know the reason I'm a pastor? I preached in one place too long. So people came. But you have to be, you have to be, realize your commission. You got a job to do. You got something that you're called to do. And you got to be courageous and fearless and, and, and willing to take the scoffing. Because others are not going to understand your vision. And others don't understand my vision of a bride with power. Others don't understand my vision of a place where devils are cast out. That they're not just coddled and allowed to sit on the the pew. And fill our young people and possess their lives and pull them away into sin. But we can have the the power of God that will cast Satan out. Hallelujah. Amen. And you don't understand my seal. My seal is to see young people born. Amen. And old people born. Amen. And those who who have just taken Jesus as their Savior to come on in a little further and be filled with the Holy Ghost and be born of the breath of God. Amen. That may be a little reckless and and may take courage, but friend, it's a reason because I got a commission. And my commission is that God's word won't fail and he's going to have a bride and she will be without spot or wrinkle. And that there will be a bride that will be as she was at Pentecost that will welcome back the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to know, is there strength? Is there somewhere? Are there others around the world today that say, here, yes, I have found the strength to make one more push. Amen. To say, move with your spirit one more time. Oh, breathe, breath of God. Fill the house with your presence. Fill the church. Fill our young people. Fill our old people. Put a zeal in them. Take out the sloth of Laodicea out of their lives and replace it with the genuine zeal. A zeal that will repent. A zeal that will humble down to the word. A zeal for believing. the church of the living God be reckless and fearless in faith if we're pointing the right way and I'll tell you friends I don't care how you count it you may have your favorite quote but I'll tell you I've got word after word of a thousand octane power that lays in this word and there's a spark amen that is ready to explode it so there can be healing in the body, salvation in the pew. Amen. An altar call where sinners weep the way to Calvary, where demons are cast out, and the people of God walk in their freedom, and that there is no barren among us, and knoweth an unfruitful. Let's stand our feet and give him praise. He didn't forsake Moses, and he didn't forsake Brother Branham, and he ain't going to forsake you this morning. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. 
He will not fail us. He will be with us. Hallelujah. 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 Praise him one more time, will you? Give him honor. Give him glory right now. It's a good land. There'll be no barren or an unfruitful, nothing to cast her young. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is strength. There is strength to bring forth. Hallelujah, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Real softly now. Oh, I want to see him. Look on his face. Just worship him a moment. Oh, I want to see Yeah. 